invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Here we find ourselves in the Exodus. After the crossing of the Red Sea, as Israel is being brought to Mount Sinai, where a covenant will be made with them. The screen shows Exodus 15, 22 and onward. That was originally going to be the reading, but it is perhaps too lengthy for the service. So we'll only be considering Exodus 17, 1 through 7, which is also the text for the sermon. So Exodus chapter 17, this is the word of the Lord. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, may he add his blessing to it. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the Lord? As a simple question, but it's a very deep and rich question. In fact, if you want to put it another way, it is the question. That everybody who opens the scriptures, everyone who stops and thinks about the important things of life, has to be confronted with. Who is the Lord? Some catechisms even ask that kind of question. Who is God? For little children to think about that big reality of life. And even older Christians who have been in the faith for a long time need to continually be asked that question. Who is the Lord? Who is your God? Is he good? Is he a provider? Is he faithful? Is he forgiving? Do we believe this? Because if we believe this or if we don't believe this, our walk with our Lord, our God, will radically be different. One example. If the Lord is not forgiving, 
if he's an unforgiving, harsh taskmaster like Pharaoh for Israel under Egypt, then why would you ever confess your sins to him? Why would you ever pray for mercy and for the Lord's patience? If he's not loving, why would you be sparked to love him and to commit your life to walk with him? This question comes to us in the book of Exodus because in a sense, the whole book is the Lord displaying who he is to Israel. Early on in the book, in Exodus 3, the people cry out to God, the God of their ancestors in Exodus 2. And in Exodus 3, God calls Moses, if you remember. He calls him to his mountain. And there he reveals who he is to him. These words he says, I am who I am. And then Exodus 6, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, all capital letters, Jehovah or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And when we read the book of Genesis, we see that people do use that name on occasion. But this is what the Lord is saying. I revealed myself as God Almighty, sovereign, powerful. But by my name, the Lord, the covenant God, my personal name, in the fullness of my love and mercy and forgiveness, they have not yet seen. The Exodus is God calling his people out of slavery and showing them who he is by what he does. And by this time that we're in Exodus, what has he done? Well, he's brought Israel out of slavery. He's brought them through the Red Sea. Children, we remember that story, the crossing of the Red Sea. That just happened. Who is God? Well, when we come to our text, we see that Israel seems to have forgotten who God is. Because we see them grumbling. We see them complaining. We see them doubting. Thirst has caused Israel's doubts to bubble up to the surface. Congregation, who is the Lord to you? We'll see this in our text in two parts under this theme. The Lord is faithful to unworthy people. And so first, the Lord shows us in our passage how little God's people deserve. But second, he shows us how good he is through what he does to a forgetful and unbelieving people. So first, he shows us how little we deserve. As I mentioned previously, at this point, God is saving Israel. All the way back in Genesis 15, God promised the covenant Lord, promised to Abraham, I will save your descendants out of the land of slavery. And now he has begun to do that. He's gathering Israel out of Egypt. He is marching them to Sinai. Having crossed the Red Sea, they're on the track to Sinai. And we remember the significance of Sinai. Here is where the Lord will come in a cloud to Moses on the mountain, the representative of the people, and he will make his covenant with them. He will give his laws. He will give his statutes, his commandments, the Ten Commandments, among many others. He'll give them a way of living with him because they're going to go to a land, to a promised land, and there, God and man will live together. It's a picture of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. God is bringing them 
to there since the very beginning of the book, but especially when they crossed the Red Sea in Exodus 15. The Lord's will, we're told in Exodus, is to make them a treasured possession among all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But between Exodus 16 and 18, Exodus 16 and 18 is a gap. Because in Exodus 19, they'll actually get there. And in Exodus 15, they'll have crossed the Red Sea. So what's with these extra chapters? In these chapters, it's revealed that the Lord is testing his people. He doesn't just teleport them, just bring them to Sinai. But three times, he tests them. That word recurs throughout those chapters. First, in the second half of Exodus 15, the Lord leaves his people through the wilderness of Shur for three days without water. He brings them to a place called Marah, where there's only bitter water, not good for drinking. He tests them. Will you obey me? Will you believe in me? This is the God who is clearly the God of water. He just split the Red Sea. He just brought the people out. He is saving them right now. Will you trust? Will you believe? And they don't. They grumble. The Lord promises to still provide for them. Moses um, provides for them water. God does. And they march on to Sinai still. Strike one, we could think of it. Secondly, in Exodus 16, we have the large passage, which is the manna from heaven. Now the issue is food. God's people are being brought through a place where there is no food. How will we eat? But God has promised, and he's shown himself to be faithful, and he will provide manna from heaven, whatever that is. And people speculate what that is, whatever it is. The word just simply means what. And he provides food. And the Lord gives a commandment, observe the Sabbath day, gather six days, trust me for the seventh, gather twice as much on Friday, twice as much on the sixth day, and you will have enough. Believe in me. Have I not shown you who I am? Have I not provided for you? He has. And remember from Exodus 16, the people do not believe. They failed the test. They go and they gather out on the Sabbath. But the Lord is gracious and he marches them on to Sinai still. Strike two, we can think about it. Now we come to our passage. The third test. What will Israel do? Two realities has been shown. God is faithful, written in neon characters. And right beneath it, but God's people are. God has shown who he is constantly. His mercies are quite literally new every morning. Because every morning there's manna. And there's enough to drink. God has provided all of our needs. And especially in Jesus Christ, he has provided us with redemption, hasn't he? And comfort and joy. But God's people are slow to remember in our passage, it begins with the congregation moving to Rephidim. There is no water there to drink. 
And so the people quarrel with Moses. And the term quarrel, it's a legal term. It's to bring a lawsuit, a formal act, a formal accusation, like you would to law, to a court of law. They're suing Moses. They're suing the mediator of the covenant. They're fighting with him. Give us water to drink. Why do you quarrel with me, says Moses? And here's the tragedy. Why do you test the Lord? The Lord is in the process of testing his people, revealing what lies deep in their souls, that they do not trust as they ought, that they do not have strong faith as they ought. But the people test God. The people dare to test the God who has been faithful so far. Is it not the case that we often do this? We write the script for God. God, if you were truly faithful, you would act in this way. My way, my wisdom. You would do what I want. You're on trial. God is in the dock. And I am the judge. And if he is faithful, if he is loving, the assumption is just like I am. If he's faithful like I would be, he would do this. He wouldn't cause me to go through struggles. He wouldn't cause me to suffer. He wouldn't allow me to be without for a while. That's what's in Israel's heart. To test the Lord as though there is anything within him that would cause doubt. The people thirsted there for water in verse 3. And they grumbled against Moses and they accused him. Why? Why did you, you Moses, bring us, out of, bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock? It's very vivid in the Hebrew. It's me. Did you come to kill me? My children, me, each individual saying, you are against me. I don't trust you. In fact, I think you are my enemy. You have committed treason, Moses. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? What shall I do with the flock you have put in my care? What can I do with them? They want to kill me. They want to treat me like a traitor. They do not trust me. They do not trust you. They have ignored every single sign you have given to them. You have shown who you are. They ought to know it. They have been catechized by the events of the Exodus. And they don't have the faith they should. And they do not trust. And they accuse you and they accuse me. What shall I do with them? What can I do with them? Moses' assumption is he should do what the Lord wants. That whatever the Lord will do is who the Lord is. Will the Lord destroy his people? Three strikes and you're out. We don't see that. We don't see that at all. Because the Lord speaks clearly. 
What shall Moses do for the people, even though they're about to stone him? Pass on before the people, the Lord says, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. In other words, those who have seen the events in the past, who were in charge of passing it on to future generations, take the teachers. This can be their, their lesson plan. I am going to reveal to you, Moses, and I'm going to reveal to the whole nation who I am again. Though God's people forget who he is, in their prayers they do not pray as though he's a loving, a loving God. And in their plans they do not build upon a rock that's worthy of being trusted. The Lord will show mercy again. Pass on before the people, taking you these some of the elders of Israel, so that Israel would never forget. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile River. So he calls back to that great act of salvation. Take the same staff that you used bought for, bought under my authority to free Israel from what the impossible situation in Egypt with Pharaoh at their backs. Use that again. Do it again. Show my mercy and my love and my forgiveness again. Strike the rock. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Three strikes for an unfaithful people, people that we're not so dissimilar to. And Psalm 95, often used as a call to worship, often used in churches as a call to worship, it urges us to remember Massa and Meribah, this event, that we would not do the same thing. Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts, at verse 8, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and at as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and had put me to the proof, though they had seen my works. God's people can do this as well. That's why we're warned about this. Testing the Lord, assuming to judge the Lord's character, not remembering what he has done, not living as though the Lord is who he says he is. The Lord slow to anger, abounding in compassion, faithful to the thousandth generation of those who love him. This can be us, and this is in fact often us. But the Lord responds to doubt, not with punishment, not with wrath, not with anger, but by commanding, let them have water. Let them have what they need. Show to them again, though they doubt if I am among them or not. And that's not a question about is God everywhere? He is everywhere. But is he among the people for their good? Is he good to them? Is he with them? Is he their friend? Yes. Show it again. Strike the rock and let water come out. In our passage, we are shown the God who is assaulted by his people with doubt. Give them forgiveness and mercy. And when we think about that, we cannot help but think about Jesus Christ, 
who was struck and water came out of his side, who was put to death by the hands of wicked men and yet sent his spirit from on high to wash us and to make us clean. The God who is attacked and offended and assaulted, giving forgiveness, mercy, and faithfulness. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who does not curse us, who does not cast us out, who does not give up, upon, give up on us after the third strike or the third doubt, but who forgives and reconciles and washes and gives us living waters, which if a man drinks of, he will never thirst, who reveals the Father to us. When Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus responded, you have seen me. And so you have seen the Father. Is it not enough to see me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Who is the Lord your God? That in this coming week, no matter what trials or sufferings you might have to go through. Who is the Lord your God? Jesus Christ. Who was struck and who gave water. Who was offended and doubted and rejected and yet still Prayed upon the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the Lord our God. Let us never forget who he is. Even though we might assume, to, we might dare to test him, to doubt him, to not take him at his word, to judge his character as faithful, let us remember Massa and Meribah, where the Lord was faithful. Let's not be like them who put the Lord to the test, but who knew who the Lord was. In the face of Jesus Christ, all of his mercy, all of his love, all of his faithfulness, all of his compassion shone vividly. The true rock which was struck for sinners and doubters who do not have perfect faith, who do not trust as they should, Beloved congregation, may this be us this coming week who do trust. But if we don't trust, may we know that the Lord does not treat us according to our iniquities, but according to grace. The rock was struck for us so that the waters of eternal life might be freely given, even to doubters. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, you are the Lord, infinite in compassion. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. You do not treat us according to our iniquities, but you treat us in Christ. And Lord, in Christ, we have seen perfect compassion, perfect forgiveness, perfect mercy. Grow within us hearts that trust you, that love you, that desire your glory, that would not even dare to test you or to quarrel with you, but to submit. Even though our lives may be difficult at present or in the time to come, may we submit and trust, knowing, Lord, who you are, the wonderful deeds you have done for us, especially what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, the crucified, the one who suffered. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.